0: Welcome to Certain Change, The Leadership Collection. I'm your host, Amelia Sabawal. As a leadership and impact coach, I work with leaders around the globe to navigate their paths, find their voices, make bold choices, and implement change. I started this podcast because we all know the only certainty in life is change, but I see that this constantly takes us by surprise. We're never ready when it happens. It's painful enough when we choose to do it to ourselves, but boy, it hurts when it happens to us. The Leadership Collection is particularly focused on the human aspect of the business world, especially during the COVID crisis. The purpose of these initial episodes is to get the insider perspective of what's going on in the boardrooms across the globe. I want to gather stories from different sectors and understand who the leaders are behind the decisions being made. And not just what they're deciding to do, but how they are implementing their decisions. I'm a co active coach, so I'm always interested in not just what you're doing, but who you're being when you're doing it. I'm going to start to look for emerging themes, start tracking the trends and dig around for innovative thinking. I think in such times where we're all rewriting the rule books, we need to share stories and learn from each other in order to enable and support the greater good. This week, I have Tim Oldman with me, who is the CEO of Leesman. Tim set up Leesman 10 years ago. It's a purpose-driven organization. In simple terms, they survey employees to measure the workplace experience. This then enables organizations to make holistic, people-focused real estate decisions. Leisman has had exponential growth over the last decade and it has around 700,000 respondents to its survey. So it packs a heavy punch globally. But, you can probably see where this is heading, COVID stopped play overnight. There were no workplaces to measure. So Leisman had to think super quick and at lightning speed, they diversified their offer to be able to measure employee working experience from home. So we find in this episode that he has his finger directly on the pulse of how the crisis has affected varying organizations and sectors. So there's some super live insights into what's working for the home workers and the value proposition of corporate workplace. As for Leesman itself, we find here how Tim has been steering the ship and how it has been to diversify so quickly and what he's missing about being with his team and his clients. So enjoy the episode and I'll see you on the other side. So Tim, thank you for joining me. Pleasure. Um, really lovely to actually physically see you and be in the same room as someone. When was
1: it though? How many weeks ago?
0: It was over First three months ago. week in March. Yes, yeah, that's when we sat together, going, "This is just the flu. <laughs> 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 What's going on?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a
1: roller coaster.
0: Yes, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna jump into how it's been for you, but mm. just for the people who are listening, could you just give me a very high-level summary of the size and shape of Leisman.
1: Yeah, so um, just under 40 employees, uh, globally distributed but with the main bulk, based in London, a 10-year-old organisation, I founded back in 2010, strong, sort of creative, driving organisation, um, multilingual, multi-country, multicultural, so that's us in a, in a nutshell.
0: And how has it been for you?
1: I think for the same as everybody else, just... Mm-hmm. Every day is different. Every day is, or tomorrow is unknown, right? In terms Mm -hmm. of the uh, the opportunities and the challenges that exist for you. Um, So I think it's it's been a, you know, everything you've ever learnt, in terms of management and leadership, condensed and compressed into a, you know, exhibit those skills and those learnings in a 12 week period, 14 week period. Except that 100 things that you do, 50 of them will be wrong when you look back. Because you're making those decisions in the moment based on an unknown tomorrow. Yeah. And I think that that's really what, as far as I'm aware, I'm not, I'm not alone in that in terms of the other leaders that I speak to, share ideas and battle scars with. I think we're all in the same boat, that it's anybody who says they're totally on top of this situation, anybody who says they know exactly what next week or next month is going to look like or six months down the line, I think is faking it. So I think it's it's just been up and down, good and bad, and uh, there's the same to come, and that's how we're sort of, that's how we're approaching it. With a, a sort of, re, you know, a reality and a realization yeah. that with the uncertainty just brings certain behaviors that you have to exhibit, but the big one I think is about being responsive and being in the moment, with as much foresight as you can exercise, but accepting that that's limited. So
0: being responsive and being adaptive and change are all, having been in change management for so long, I understand them to be big red flags that human beings do not like those words when it applies to their work, because that applies to their lives, because that applies to their mortgages and their rents. How do you take people on the journey with you of being responsive and reactive?
1: Good question. I think I think part of it is because we're all internationally, globally in this together. Yes. You know, it wasn't like I suddenly woke up one morning and said, <laughs> to hell with everything Leisman's done for the last 10 years. Let's do something different this week and trying to get people along with you. I think Mm -hmm. if you know that your brothers, your mothers, your aunts, your best friends, all your mates from college are all in the same storm, then actually change has been a little bit easier, I think, for people to accommodate. And there is a sort of an esprit de corps. I think we've got, you know, governments dictating how we behave. Um, Everything that's normal having been snatched away from all of us, it's like there's no envy because it's not like, oh, well, he's going to the office and I'm not allowed. It's like nobody's in the office. Yeah. Everybody's at home and everybody's zooming each other to know what we're all sort of having to put up with at home. So I think that sort of collective experience has made yeah. that not, not an issue in the way that it would have been if, if this had been normal times and we'd made a, a sudden about turn or a sudden trajectory alteration. So.
0: That's such an awesome observation, I hadn't thought of it in those terms before. Actually, the the change is actually it's all our change. Mm. So nothing's normal. I wonder how can we take that ability and knowledge about change that we we, we can do it. How will we take that forward?
1: Well, I think that's one of the immense lessons that we'll take from this period. Mm. That there were things that organisations said they couldn't do, yeah. and in forty-eight hours they did them. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, we have clients who historically would have not even trusted an employee to bring a mobile phone into the office because of the absolute security and sensitivity of the material that they were processing. Mm. And on a Monday morning, those people were handed a laptop and told that they were trusted to work from home, iPhones and all. You know, it's like so suddenly trust has been invested in massive heaps to keep businesses afloat. Not a problem in our organization, we've always been agile and flexible in terms of where people contribute from mm-hmm. um, and the devices they use, but not so in large corporates. And I think mm-hmm. that that's that's an interesting thing because of course, if when we come out of this, those trust equations are suddenly withdrawn or attracted, given everything that's going on geopolitically at the moment in relation to trust in government, trust in police forces, trust in each other, I think that's something that 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 for me is the biggest issue I think the world will face, corporately, leadership-wise, in the future, that as we long tail out of this, then there's a crisis of trust brewing mm. that wasn't there before because all the rules were understood. And suddenly, all those rules have been flexed. And we've been asked to trust each other and our leaders and our governments in a way that we've never been, never had to before, or for, for most of our living memories. And organizations have done the reciprocal with their employees. Now, if you suddenly start to re-gear that in six or eight weeks' time or six months' time or a year's time, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that the same employee will look as generously on their employers uh, or conciliatory in their sort of relationship with their employer as perhaps they had before.
0: It sounds like you had already built that trust. and It's embedded. It's cooked into the Leesman culture. How, How do you go about doing that?
1: I don't think we've got everything right you know it's not I don't think you can ever be 100% right if you're if you're agile and you're adaptive and, and and you allow your corporate culture to evolve then a mistake is an opportunity to make something better right so we've we've made mistakes along the way in those 10 years so yeah, certainly new people starting are not encouraged in the same way to work remotely as those who've been around for some time not because we don't trust them is simply because we know the learning experience of being around others when you've got a small and diverse team like we have is massively more amplified if you're in the same room. If you're being grabbed for a cup of tea or taken out for lunch or all of the other stuff around the formal learning and development and onboarding processes, if you're in the company with the buzzy people, you can't help but get a bit of the buzz. Yeah. So that's why, um, you know, for us, it's, it's not like some sort of privilege or something you get by right of passage, but it is something that, The longer you've been here, or the longer you've been with with my company, the more people know the boundaries that they can execute. And that might be international boundaries as well. It's not just a case of, I'm working from home tomorrow because the plumber's fixing the boiler. That's like, that's 10 years old, right? That type of approach to the situation. (laughs) It's much more about, I suppose in a, you know, I know we've talked about this before, the definition of activity-based working, Mm. Um, but the idea of, an employee being empowered to choose the location that's best suited to the task they're doing at that point in their working day or their working week and we try and try our best I think to build a culture that facilitates that uh, and so I think you know when suddenly we we felt and it was a week before formal lockdown we closed the office it was there was no there was no technical challenges for us no infrastructure challenges for us at all the only the only challenge really was about keeping a team that are incredibly energetic and buzzy and gobby and ballsy and all that other <laughs> stuff connected in the same way. And that was my biggest fear from day one was that, that how would the culture dissipate over time? You know, does it start to sort of, you know, I've talked about it on a number of podcasts with real estate teams the, uh, um, and webinars, the, the stuff we can't measure is what happens when you walk through the front door in the morning of an office. Mm. And that sort of little shower of corporate fairy dust that's sprinkled on you when you walk through a building. We've got none of that. Not one of my team have had any of that since the second week in March. So what what impact does it have on people? Do they start to sort of drift away from the brand value if they're not being recharged uh, invisibly by osmosis every day, that they're around each other? And everything has to be done by the sort of sanitised rectangular screen of a Zoom call. That's that's the thing I was fearful of day one, and it and it's the, it's still my biggest fear in terms of what we do as an organisation.
0: What have you found over that? If that was fear day one, what what has that morphed into now?
1: I think I don't think the fear is any less because I think it is mm. the, the, the it's the single most critical. Which is how we've built a brand, mm. in a way, it's it's about staying consistent and true to our beliefs and. Um, because we have some quite sort of rigid cornerstones to our, uh, the product that we bring to market and the service that we bring to market and our brand values externally, we have to exhibit them doubly strongly internally in the mm. way that we behave. And as I said, it's not always easy. So trying to keep that connection is the same tools as everybody else has been using, you know, the, yeah. sort of the stand-ups, the weekly calls, the pub quizzes, the everything else that the awesome mm-hmm. team have been doing. You know, it was my birthday two weeks after lockdown and they did an amazing video, right, with the happy birthday on it and everything. <laughs> so it's like I have a, I have a team that are just brimming with energy anyway. So it, it doesn't take a lot. And um, and we're fortunate we've got some awesome um, divisional managers who, who understand their domains and their teams inside out. And, you know, part of, in effect, part of what got them to that role pre-COVID was their ability to do it. And so probably as young managers, all but one of them, relatively speaking, have, have been sort of discovering that themselves, but with the encouragement of the brand values that we had around it before, if that makes any sense. I'm not sure that does make sense to anybody who's who doesn't know us. But if, you, if you've created the atmosphere, you've created the energy, you've created the trust, and the boundaries are quite clear, yeah. then actually for a manager to suddenly have to amplify those because you're not absorbing it altogether every day, somewhat easier than i think if you've had something historic which is much more leader team led and managers as doers mm-hmm. i don't think we had that and i think because we had some great managers who are on the path to being awesome leaders and there's no sense of threat at the top no sense of sense of paranoia that we've got all this energy coming up below it we need to keep it down that's definitely not anything that that Leastman's ever had so for those people coming up For them, it was almost like an opportunity to shine and an opportunity to bring their teams together in this Mm. mission to to stay relevant and stay active.
0: So it's almost like time will tell if the magic fairy dust has been a major missing component. But the feeling right now is that
1: we're okay. We're okay. We're not. And I don't think any organisation that I speak to is doing as well as it did when it had mm. that fairy dust sprinkled. Mm. Um, you know, there's lots of talk of organisations, and you get them chirping into webinars and, and uh, interviews where we're saying, well, we've always been distributed. We don't have a problem. Yeah, well, that's fine, because you've always been distributed. And you're probably from North America, and you've probably got a, a barn in the garden that you call your home office. <laughs> when my employees are sat in the spare bedroom of their parents because they fled London... You know, and they're sick of it and, and they want something back in terms of that buzz and the energy of being in an awesome city centre location with a great office around great people. And, you know, just simply sort of somehow braggishly saying, well, we've always been a distributed organisation doesn't cut it if you weren't before. And we might be able to learn things from those organisations, but I don't think it replaces for those people who valued the experience of coming to workplace mm. uh, as any sort of replacement or, or, or any council
0: sounds like you've been missing it
1: i'm missing massively <laughs> yeah. i'm not you know I, and, and people see me sort of stood on platforms presenting to huge audiences and think well, he's a he's a massive extrovert i'm not at all mm. it's just a thing you do because that's part of my role right so when it's when it's time to be the ambassador when it's time to be the curator of a of a message i turn up that thing and i deliver it but i also have to come into the office and you know do some really detailed and fine introverted work with team members of the same you know, very introverted personality types. And it's much more about being, you know, quiet and and, and uh, sedentary in your approach to problem solving. So, mm-hmm. um, but the team I have around me are awesome. And we, you know, genuinely miss every single one of them being that sort of, you know, from James's tea in the morning, you know, to <laughs> Amelia's silly laugh, you know, to all of this stuff that is just yeah. part of your day, right? That's just been ripped away. And I think that's, that's what if if we're feeling that or if i'm feeling that as a leader of a team of that size if you're the leader of a massive organization Mm. you're probably not feeling it in the same way because your access to that type of energy was i think is is one or two steps removed so i i think it's the mid-size you know the sort of the lower end of small to medium-sized enterprise Mm. that i think are really suffering from having that that connectivity wrenched away from them personally that's my view
0: that withdrawal
1: symptoms. Yeah.
0: Because yeah. Yeah. Well, I know how um, seriously you take recruitment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably a silly statement. Everyone takes it seriously. But you really go the extra mile mm. in your recruitment. And you're still very, very involved. So I can only imagine that it is that wrench away from...
1: It, it's, but it's also then once you've, once you've worked that hard on finding the right people who you know are going to add to that song that you've built um that they then miss each other
0: yeah
1: and i think whilst within teams within our um, groups within the business there is massive energy and a, and a massive sense of um you know collaborative need to do the thing that needs to be done for us to come out the other side stronger than we were when we went into it which is where we believe we are at the moment uh but there's all you know. It's very, very difficult to get that crossing over between divisions, between the departments, to get it going horizontally. You know, to get the marketing team really understanding what sales are doing on the front line, or to get the client services teams really understanding the problem that technology are facing at the moment, or technology understanding what clients are saying they need out there mm-hmm. at the moment, and and matching pace. It's almost like, I think before we had a cadence where everybody out was actually sort of, I know it's an overly overused the sort of visual metaphor, a hackneyed visual metaphor of. You know a, a team of oarsmen you know where everybody's rowing in time with each other i think that's what we had before well we're not in the same boat anymore it's like we're all in different boats yeah and you can't it's, it's really really hard to expect everybody to keep that sort of metronomic timing mm. and understand where everybody else is in their stroke whether they're in water or out of water with their skull that mm. that's the hard thing i think for leaders to to try and create and and again, I say, it, you, you can't do it on a weekly Zoom call. No. You know, let's have a 15-minute update from the marketing team. Well, what can Rick say in 15 minutes that actually gives the rest of the company a full understanding of what his team are going through at that point in time? Not possible, I don't think. So mm. so that's the thing I'm desperately keen to get back to, mm. just by osmosis, hearing and absorbing what the rest of the business is doing by being back together in, in not one place, multiple places, because we're globally distributed anyway, but... Um, that's that's the thing I'm missing from the energy having here. that hub. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I love that metaphor actually, because I mean, gosh, COVID's some very, very choppy waters. Yeah, yeah. So how could you possibly be in sync?
1: And and I think what it's also done is almost you've you've lost sight of the horizon. Mm. Most organisations, I think, have no idea mm. what the horizon looks like, or you know, which port they're heading for, because mm. there are multiple safe ports. It's just which one is going to be the easiest to get into, or which one's going to be crowded when you get there, and what are the mooring charges when you arrive, and all that type of. View. You can play that visual metaphor out forever, but it's. I think that's where that's where we feel we've talked a little bit about that internally and amongst the team that it's. You know, it, we had a product that measured the world's corporate workplaces, and on a day in March, the workplaces were closed. The relevance of our product overnight went from hero to nobody. You know, and that that, that was the sort of plummet that we were you know, looking at literally, we were sort of, we were on the, we were on the crest of the tsunami wave yes. and we were looking down and there was nothing but bare ocean floor below us with the backdraft, you know, and littered with debris and not knowing where the hell we would end up. So I think anybody who's in real estate is kidding themselves or, or, or mm-hmm. you know, for the purpose of PR is, is, is telling its audience something different if it believed it knew what the future of workplace was yeah. at that point. I think today we have differing views about the future of workplace, depending on who you listen to and, and, and which camp you're projecting your message from. But we, you know, we, had, we were fortunate, we'd had some amazing clients in Asia who were six or eight weeks ahead of us and they were the ones pushing and saying, we need your help now. This was before we locked down in London. You know, they were saying, we need your help understanding the experience of employees working from home because we're not sure how long they're gonna be there. But if they're there for a while, we need to know what's happening. What you
0: know, I, it would it would almost be crass to ask what's the biggest challenge you faced. You just explained it in a tsunami yeah, image. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like that. Um, our the entirety of our work became irrelevant, and yet you were stood stood here with some really busy teams. What did you need to do to diversify that quickly?
1: I think it's the it's a. Uh, um, a well-known um, proposition in change I think which is be absolutely clear on where you're going hmm. so that everybody is aligned with you not behind you but with you alongside you hmm. in a new common purpose mm-hmm. and I think if you can communicate that accurately you can communicate the goal clearly and if there is a belief that the goal is achievable then everybody goes with you
0: hmm. and
1: look what happens you get something done
0: my God, you have absolutely. I'm just going. I'm. I'm going to come on mm. to what you have done, but just kind of take me back to that moment of, of the what do what we do. What did that look like? Because that was some swift decision making. You completely diversified what you did.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm not. Did we diversify, or did we just? Because we've asked the question internally ourselves. Mm. Is, is this a diversification? Does it take our business in a different direction? Um, or is it just adding another little sort of veneer onto the sort of side of it yeah. that simply responds to the fact that suddenly millions more people have been trusted to work from home, back to our previous point. Mm-hmm. And therefore, historically, tiny proportions of employees were trusted to work from home, and therefore, it wasn't a big part of our ecosystem of investigation. Mm-hmm. Now it's the other way around. 80%, 90% of people are working from home, mm-hmm. only 8 9% working from the corporate offices. So flip the tool. And effectively, that was all. It was, it was as simple as that, really, Amelia. It's yes. a, um, a decision-making in the moment that says we're agile, we're responsive, we have awesome people, we have awesome teams, we have great technology, and we know more about corporate workplace than anybody else in terms of experienced data. So now let's take this as an amazing opportunity to understand the home working experience of the same employees.
0: I think that's, um, yeah, so you, fl- you flipped it. I get get that but also I get that people were in panic stations especially at the beginning it's it's a different form of panic now we're kind of more used to that heart rate but right there and then you were having really big conversations with some massive corporates who must have had a lot of other things on their mind as to whether to do a, a working from home survey mm. What, what do you need to do to convince people to, to focus on that when they've got...
1: Mm. Yeah, another good question. Do you know what? In, in, in real terms, all it took was time. Hmm. So actually, I think our insights and research team, led by uh, Dr. Peggy Roth, who you know very yes. well, um, Peggy and her team did about six months' worth of research and development conceptually, in about three weeks. And yes. uh, Alan, our brilliant CTO, and his amazing team did about uh, six weeks of build, test, and development. Uh, sorry, did about six months' worth of build, test, and development in about six weeks. Mm-hmm. And to their credit, we had a product sooner than any of us, I think, thought was possible in terms mm-hmm. of a new analysis of homeworking experience, uh, so a, a, an international you know, multi-language, 37 languages off the shelf like that. Yeah. So, I mean, mind-blowing capability for us mm. to have done that. What actually I think happened was we did it faster than the market knew it needed it. Mm. Because I think actually the bigger the organization, the bigger the problems, the bigger the, you know, the, you, effectively you magnify the amount of complications. Yes. And they were still getting over a lot of those. Whereas we could mobilize on the top of a hairpin because we were already equipped to work mobile. By the time corporates caught up with us, then they're ready for the product. And then they're desperate to learn because they've come through the crisis management mm. phase. They're already starting to get a sense that it's not quite as cosy at home as everybody thought. Or maybe the emails are starting to come in from the chief finance officer saying, hey, this all seems to be working quite well. Why do we need to have anybody back in the office? <laughs>
0: Should we slash real estate? <laughs> Let's just slash real estate by
1: 50%. And we were hearing that within about three weeks of lockdown. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: you know, yeah. Consultants taking briefs to say, if this works, we could axe half of our real estate footprint, start working out the plan without actually talking to the people, without talking to the employees and finding out what the experience that they were having was. So thankfully, the sort of cool-headed end of our marketplace started to realise that, yes, it was an awesome experiment. Yes, they had got through the crisis management phase superbly well. Now they needed to really understand what was going on Mm -hmm. and at a very fine and granular detail. And then suddenly, you know, the tsunami turned around. It was a tsunami of inquiries coming in, asking for help and support in understanding the both the today landscape of workplace, but using that data and our historic data that we have from the same clients on their office mm. performance mm. to start helping them visualize what the future office landscape might look like for them.
0: Phenomenal speed, incredible speed. I was absolutely bowled over when you gave, you delivered um, your webinars about two weeks ago now, mm. I think. Um, so within three months, uh, there was over 10,000 responses and climbing. So you you've got a really unique set of data. No one else in the world is doing this. Um, So it's been fascinating to watch that. I can't, literally, can't wait for the next installment.
1: Yeah, I think in fairness, others are doing it. Mm. The difference, the wholly unique position we have is that our methodology for measuring the experience of an employee working from home is exactly the same as our methodology from the office. Yes. And I think that is the thing that's wholly unique, that we can do a direct comparison between the infrastructure of home and the infrastructure of highly expensive city centre, business park, globally distributed workplaces. And that's the that's the unique factor that I think that we bring to this experiment, is that a client is now able to say, this cost me X, and I get this back from it in terms of exp- experience per employee. Mm-hmm. This cost me much less, and I'm getting this back in terms of experience per employee. And I think being able to do that almost apples for apples direct comparison we play playfully saying it's not it's not quite apple to apple it's granny smith to golden delicious but it's it's still an apple right yeah and it's still a direct comparison that can be played and i think this is going to be an interesting time where a the value proposition of workplace corporate workplace Mm. is going to be right under the microscope what does it actually do for an organization's Mm. personal uh, organizational performance and then I think it brings into question the the overlap between HR professionals and corporate real estate professionals, in terms of the much softer, more um, the, the more difficult things to measure. So you know that idea of it not being about the utilisation of a meeting room for an hour. Actually, what about the fifteen minutes before when the team were making their tea in the tea point and joking around as they came into the meeting room, and the fifteen minutes after when they were mucking around when they left? Mm. You know those are the bits that aren't being measured, not by us, not by anybody else. Mm. Loads of people measuring the meeting, mm-hmm. be that from an occupancy perspective or from our expected, uh, an experience perspective, but nobody capturing that value proposition of the bits either side. Yeah. So I think we're becoming target fixated on the sort of the real estate bricks and mortar, yeah. and we're forgetting the human beings that are interacting with those spaces. So arguably for architecture and design, it's an amazing experience opportunity mm-hmm. really to to for clients to reevaluate. The value proposition of experience and therefore of, of design and of workplace yeah
0: it's that fairy dust again isn't
1: it the secret sauce mm.
0: i think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be basing some major multi-million pound decisions off the back of your data
1: yeah i don't mind that
0: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what i worry about is all the organizations that are making multi-million pound billion pound decisions based on no data
0: nothing yeah. or
1: on subjective line of business data, or I, I put it in a, I anonymized it massively in a a blog post that I wrote, but I was on a call where we were, the conversation of productivity came up and one of the contributors on the call said, hey, we don't have a problem with productivity. We're measuring how long people stay online. They're on the VPN for hours, way longer than they were in the office. Productivity is not our issue. Now, anybody who's measuring productivity Mm. based on the amount of time people spend online Should not be in the job they're in (laughs) fundamentally right that is just like really really bad um so i think if a client is making a decision be that um to dispose of or acquire real estate based on our data at least they're doing it from a data-driven decision-making perspective Mm. that is commensurate with the experience that an employee is having in their home yeah not subjectively made and let's face it, so many of the people who are making decisions are sat in their private offices at the end of their garden, where the only inconvenience of COVID for them is the gardener's not allowed to come and cut the lawn. That's what's happening worldwide at the moment. So, um, you know, our clients, I think, are going much more sensitively, much more empathetically and really trying to understand what it is that an employee is facing Mm. in their experience of working from home, what things might be better, what things are worse. Um... But also what what happens when we're not together? you know does that sort of that sort of uh, sentiment drift? you know, are they playing with visual metaphors again, but we are are we at risk of being at sea sort of you know with no tailwind and just sort of not really knowing where we're going?
0: Yeah, I foresee that there is going to be it's, there's kind of that's the we're talking quite long term at the moment in the short term, I feel like there's going to be not just the workplace experience from a physical point of view but also I think the mental well-being and health of people I think this is there's a lot of fear here and I also I've been hearing a lot of stories around the furloughed and the unfurloughed as well and I think there are rifts starting to appear or well, I think there very I think chasms have appeared mm. where there's the have's and have nots and I think both consider themselves on both sides of that fence, the haves and have-nots. How how are you approaching the return to work? Not just from a physical point of view, but more I'm more interested really in the mental shift back.
1: Mm. I think you're right in that, certainly for the UK working population or for business leaders in the UK who could take advantage of the incredible government scheme, mm. the support that I think the government has offered, politic aside of which, which colour you vote, mm. I think in the face of immense adversity, the government has put in place many financial measures that have enabled many organisations to survive that would not have survived. So we have been very fortunate through the use of the, the furlough scheme. We've also received a, a government innovation grant. Um, so out of something like 8,000, 8, businesses that applied for that. Uh, we were one of a very small number that, that received uh, a substantial sum um, to help us innovate and use our product yeah to help in the responses uh, response to covid so again regardless of color mm. of the vote actually i think what the government has done to help us as a small to medium-sized enterprise has been outstanding of course that that is at risk of isolating the very human factor of what happens to you when you are furloughed yes and yeah we have we have team members on furlough who don't dial into our weekly or bi-weekly zoom calls And we have team members that do. And do other team members start to wonder about those who are dialing in and those who aren't? I guess they probably do. I think that's human nature. Mm. And certainly those team members who've not been furloughed are working their... Tails off. Tails off, thank you. (laughs) Struggling for a polite (laughs) word. Yeah, I I could not have expected an ounce more Mm. from anybody who has plowed us through this, this last few weeks, uh, months. And I think every organization of our size is now having to tussle with the, um, the sort of psychology of some team members, frankly, unless you know, it's a bright sunny day outside today, some team members having a government paid holiday, in effect, mm-hmm. while other team members are working every hour that they can to keep their clients driving forward, keep revenues coming in. and. Um, partake in or participate in the business growth. Um, so we, we're having to, at the moment, think hard and fast about how we can rotate or can't rotate team members. Um, when we bring them back, mm-hmm. who we bring back first. Uh, we're very, very conscious of anybody remotely having the sense, and I know that two of my friends are in running slightly larger businesses, but very, very conscious of this as well, that any sense that if you've been furloughed, you're sort of on the short list for something less favorable in the future mm-hmm. because you weren't the favored ones that were kept in mm-hmm. and, and absolutely that's not been the case for us i know that you know we had to make some early careful judgments about basically the client relationships we had so it was about maintaining the client continuity mm-hmm. more than anything um, but nobody in technology nobody in marketing nobody in sales because those effectively were our, uh, our primary output mechanisms our response was in those units So I think that's where I think business leaders are going to have some challenges in the next phase of corporate recovery is making some tough decisions about who comes back when there's an awful lot of people who've banked a lot of holiday days as well. So actually it's some very basic, you know, support mechanism of who's working when, right? We're coming into the second half of the year and it's, and it's going to be tricky to compute those if you're in a small business. So I think business leaders have to be, you know, it's like you've got to dial up your, your empathy and your emotional intelligence to levels that even the most emotionally intelligent I don't think have had to go to for a while in thinking about the human factors of of uh, return to work.
0: Have you had any surprises during this three months? Have things kind of jumped out at you or curveballs come in that you weren't expecting?
1: I think because, as I said at the beginning, because I went into it not knowing what to expect. <laughs> I think I've just taken every punch as it's come. I don't. I don't think anything has particularly caught me off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, like most of my peers and friends who are leading businesses, you you therefore have good days and you have bad days. Um, you know, you have days when a a client who hasn't responded to anything you sent in the last six months suddenly says, "Hey, how's things? Here, you're doing a home working experience survey. Any chance you could, you know?" And suddenly you're upbeat and you're buoyed and you've got. <laughs> You know you've got some contact again and and uh you've, you've rejuvenated a relationship and then you know you have a down day when something that you thought was going to work didn't work a technology feature or a, you know some research insight came in and you were really expecting i had a, a hypothesis based on uh, uh what we call role complexity how complex an employee's role is would have a direct and really clear impact on how well their home supported them and I got this right target in front of mine. This was going to be our stellar finding. Nope, nothing there. You know, so you have days like that, and you think, hey, no, go and look again. There must be something. Search yeah.
0: under every rock. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: So I think you get you get up and down days like that, um, yeah. or or you get days when the data swings around, and you know what you thought was a thing, isn't the thing when you know when you get more data. And I think this is the the point about the sort of cool headedness and this. You know, we've we've spent fifteen years. I've been really at the front end of workplace thinking and. You know, 15 years worth of evolution that suddenly a whole heap of professionals are willing to tear up and throw away and reinvent the future of workplace. I find that so disingenuous on everything they were saying just months ago, stood on platforms around the world, publishing in journals, you know, mm. telling everybody the ideal workplace. And now they're willing to just forget all of that, like mm. it wasn't a thing. Yeah. And now we've got a new thing and therefore we look at our new sparkly version of what the corporate workplace of the future looks like. I find that really crass. Mm. Um, so if you're trying to contend with that type of noise, that can become really wearing. And I think my, my marketing communications team, have, have, I think they've almost had to sort of slightly cocoon themselves from the rubbish that has been peppered around our industry over the last six to eight weeks. And, and things like sample size. I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, when we, when we did those seminars, we were sat on 10,000 respondents. Yeah, great. We had another 40,000 in the bank that we hadn't yet processed. And I think by the end of, I don't know, by mid-July, we'll be sitting on probably 100-and-something thousand responses. Now, that's amazing, and it's an awesome opportunity, but we've also then got to sort of put our honest hand up and say, yeah, but hang on a second, the majority, like two-thirds of that data will be from two clients who just happen to be our mega-clients who've always done heaps of stuff with us. Yeah. So in terms of a research tool, mm-hmm. it's great, but please, consumer, be aware that it is heavily populated by a, uh, a, a retail bank and a public body. And, and therefore, you need to interpret it with a, a degree of latitude. Yeah. And so if you're consuming a, um, a piece of research insight or some um, you know, so-called research proposing a new office landscape for the future, check on the sample size, check on the diversity of the data, mm-hmm. um, you know, check on the mechanism. Who was asked? Um, you know, we've seen lots of content which proposes a new workplace future based on interviews with real estate heads. Think you find they have a slightly vested interest <laughs> in the future of workplace. So I think we, we, you know, we, we've got to be open and honest to a, a future that may be different to the from the past that we've come from and, and take this experiment as slowly as we can. Yeah. Because the future is uncertain and there is no vaccine no. yet. Hopefully, there will be. And so anxieties around biosafety and security will always be there amongst employees. And travelling into city centres is going to be not a nice thing until such time as that vaccine is available. And workplaces are going to be hazard-taped off for all the things that you want to do in a workplace. So experience is going to be very different.
0: Anecdotally, I know you've got the data sets from, from various different clients, Anecdotally, who is navigating this well? Because you do speak to so many different types of organizations from cross sectors. Who's doing this really well? Engaged with their staff and listening and providing
1: um, I guess all of our clients, because they're doing it. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I could just I could list off all the clients that have, yeah. have, have used our working survey. But I think mm. that's the starting point is 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 understanding what what your employees are facing. Employers had a recognised duty of care for an employee when they crossed the threshold in the morning to a corporate office. And most decent organisations recognise that duty of care and they recognise that whether they measured it or not, I think most decent sized organisations recognise the relationship between place and personal performance. And and therefore, if you invested in workplace, there was a a belief that you would profit from it in terms of corporate outputs. And suddenly that's been thrown up in the air because Mm -hmm. more employees are reporting that they can work productively from home than do from the corporate office setting. So at a very, very basic productivity indicator level, if an employee feels more productive, we don't know that they are more productive, We don't know that the work that they're doing is as good as it was when they were around others and they were bouncing ideas and they were hearing stuff, but employees feel productive. I think the challenge is whether they feel productive because they're locking themselves in a spare room for eight hours of a day, tapping away at a laptop screen, Zooming and Teams meetings all all flipping day all around the world, and therefore there is a sense of absolute contribution, and therefore that must relate to productivity, so I think... That's, that's, that's the thing that time will tell. Because if, let's face it, if a deadline is missed today, mm. you blame COVID, right? <laughs> if a piece of code that a coder has written is full of bugs, you blame COVID. Yeah. You don't blame homeworking. Yeah. In a year's time, if we're still working distributed, mm. I don't think we'll be blaming COVID anymore. Mm. I think we'll be blaming other factors, management style, leadership style, homework setting, lack of, lack of uh, knowledge transfer. Lack of learning from others, career development, um, targets not being met. Um, you know, how many employees have been through a six-month appraisal under COVID? You know, So even our sort of annualized or, or monthly techniques and, and methodologies for appraising contribution or appraising the value proposition between leadership, mm. workplace and, and employee have not yet had a chance to play out their usual cadence. So I think that's what we've got to wait for. We've got to wait for all of those cycles to come round again and see what happens.
0: Time will tell. <laughs> I've got a couple more questions mm. for you because I quite like these ones. I would love to. I'd, I'd love to know your personal experience of this whole time because I know that you've had you've not just had to run a business with forty people. You've also, you know, you have a life. Mm. What what has it been like to, because I, I know you've got other projects. Yeah, projects, that that's well. the polite way of putting it. So
1: I, th- I think, um, I, I know there are other people in similar boats. Um, you're, you, and, and you've had to, we've all had to dial up our coping methods massively, mm-hmm. I think. So yeah, I, I have a, a number of other things going on in my life, not least the fact that um, my father passed away after a long illness in late November last year. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so just as we were getting into the sort of, if you like, just as I had sort of come out of the immediate aftermath of that, and you're starting to get on top of the disposal of the estate, and it's not, I say estate, it's such a grand word, isn't it, estate? <laughs> get a three-bedroom kind of house in Leighton Buzzard, you know, it's like yes. it's not, yeah. Um, but there are, there's a massive amount of administration associated with that um, settling of the, the affairs, if you like, um, when... And, and that was he was my only surviving parent. So there's a lot of stuff that you're encompassing in that. Um, we also managed to buy a house, which uh, we completed on in January, which is a massive, massive do up up type project. It's not a big house, but it is basically everybody looking at it saying, why don't you just flatten it and start again? It's that type <laughs> of magnitude of change. Yeah. And so we were just about to award uh, or appoint a contractor to do that, and COVID came along. So, you know, there's that going on. Yeah. Uh, my eldest son graduated just uh, about, I suppose technically he's finished university, he hasn't had his final grade yet, so he's, that's mm-hmm. sometime in the next few days. You know, so there's then the, the, the sort of, my, my sense for him of what impact does, um, thank you London bus, um, uh, you know, graduating into the most uncertain economic landscape in my working history. I graduated into the, the recession in the 90s, so I've been through a few of them but but I think for Ollie it's uh, uh, uh and every graduate graduating this year is really really hard and uncertain. Um I mean there are still organizations employing grads which is awesome um but um you've got to be a pretty robust organization to want to onboard a graduate in in this time I think. So so I think it's it's, it's all those things. I mean they're just juggling life's challenges. They just all seem to have come in a very consolidated and narrow period. Um,
0: yeah.
1: But you know, it's just you get up and you get on with it, right? And you and, and some yes, things suffer. Right? You do. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I see that. Uh, 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 things suffer, so it's you know your yeah. your the, the work life balance, the, the life mm. balances. Um, it's tough enough keeping life balances in order when you're a when you're at the head of a business anyway. Mm. Um, I mean keeping... your, your
0: travel was always shocking
1: yeah travel but, but so now so... it's
0: been replaced by
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by by boxing yourself in at home and
0: literally boxing
1: um, yeah no, the, the travel international travel is exhausting, but the flip side of it, of course is that you I, I've always got great energy from the awesome clients that we hang out with, and if you're mm. in their company, you get that energy mm. and that excitement and and the ideas that are generated about how you how our data can inform their programs gives me a buzz. And, you know, frankly, a long haul flight is eight hours of complete isolation to actually get some concentrated work done with nobody, nobody tapping on the shoulder for something else. So, so I, I you know, I developed my own coping methods for long haul travel and you just do it. It's, it's part of mm-hmm. what the, the job entailed before. Um, I miss it, if I'm honest, yeah. um, because being cooped up, I do have the fortune of a, of a private space at home um, in the tiny little rental that we're in. But it's. It is a private space and it is enclosed and does enable me to be in there. But you know, if you're doing a call with Asia, you're in there at seven in the morning and then I'm doing calls with the US at 10 o'clock in the evening and you find you've, you've got out of that space twice in a day. And it's not healthy, it's not good. And I think I'm, I'm not good at balancing those things anyway. Um, and I think a lot of business leaders like me are guilty of not balancing those things well at the moment. So um, I think we are gonna come out of it tired and I think as long as we recognize that and as long as we're looking to a point in the future where there will be some physical and mental space to recoup, that's fine. Now, I don't know when that quite is. I've got a sense of when I think it might be for me. But that's what I would urge any, any other business leader, I think, listening to this, is just to accept that the life balance at the moment is pretty shot, I suspect, for lots of small business owners. But if you can create a, a place in the diary in the future where there is some reset or some acknowledgement that if the, if the keel of the boat isn't being ripped off like it was yeah. a few months ago, yeah, just put the anchor down and just chill out for a while on the beach. Not literally, speaking. If you, can,
0: if you can get to a beach.
1: Buy a few bags of sand from your local DIY store, chuck it in the garden and put your feet on it and, and feel like you're on the beach somewhere.
0: What do you think is your kind of... I mean, you've very rightly said, you know, you can't really see much past tomorrow in a lot of ways who knows what the next government announcement is going to be what are the next few months for you
1: our immediate struggle in a sense is revenues are down Mm. let's be clear as many many organizations around the world we had three months of not selling office surveys heaps of clients doing them now because they're desperate to understand how the offices are are performing but our surveys of corporate offices stopped like that mid-march nothing Mm. And so revenues are down, so we have to think about the shape of the organisation going forward. But given the influx of interest we've got in understanding the relationship between home and office, uh, and the challenge that more and more clients are asking us about, the, the sort of data processing or data visualisation depth that we can go to for them, ingesting other data sets, and questions the real estate industry is asking of us about, are we not negligent as an industry in not understanding some really basic stuff like, the relationship between occupant density and experience, mm. right? It is pretty shabby that nobody in this industry can answer that type of mm. question. So clients therefore saying, well, why don't you do it? They're like, yeah, but that's not really our thing. We measure experience. Yeah. But if we gave you the occupant density data, you could tell, her tell us whether there's a relationship. You're like, okay, cause we're, we're a bit nerdy and we like data. <laughs> so just give us some more, but, building, a <laughs> <that>. <laughs> but we've got to build a business around that, right? We can't yeah. keep doing stuff for free. Um, mm. We we're, moving to B Corporation status this uh, later this year, which are is you? super exciting and Alison's biggest project, my wow. deputy. Um, so uh, as a B Corporation, we have a, uh, a sort of benevolent and, uh, and slightly sort of charitable um, mm. contribution to society that we want to fulfill, which I think we've been doing for 10 years. So I think the B Corporation status is really just a, a verification of how we've always behaved. Um, but if clients are saying, here, have some data and we can find some insights from that, that change an approach to the relationship between people and place, then that's super exciting. But you've got to create a business infrastructure that supports that. Mm. So that might mean a new business division, it might mean new team members, it might mean that actually, in a perverse way, we're bigger on the out of COVID than we were coming into it. So it's it's massively exciting, but it is still like a roller coaster, right? You don't actually, if it's your first time on the roller coaster, we're not sure where there's a dip or there's a there's a peak around the corner, and we're not sure how scary. Some of the G-forces are that we're going to have to pull, but it's um, just stay equipped, stay, you know, keep the seatbelt tight and go for it.
0: It sounds like your clients are with you.
1: People are absolutely desperate for experience to be back in their lives. And I think yeah. workplace experience for many people, if they had a great experience before, they're going to start really, really wanting it back. And so the idea of experience being the sort of the epicentre of the HR relationship between employer-employer and employer, the workplace relationship between employer and employer, and then the daily operational relationship at facility management level, I think it's a an immensely exciting time to be in workplace experience. Yeah. And for any professional who's grabbed that domain in the last few years, yeah. yeah, the world's your oyster going forward. If you've got the data, if you've got the knowledge and support of your your colleagues in those other domains.
0: Tim, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's always fascinating.
1: <laughs> you have you have talked as much. Nervous. Normally when we're I together know. you at least <laughs> occupy 50 or 60% of the airtime when we're talking.
0: Easily. So I'm I gonna, should like, maybe I should interview you next then... time. <laughs> Actually, where can I'm going to put this into the show notes, but where can people find you and are you happy for me to post a link to your webinar because it was
1: of course yeah it's all interesting it's 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 all there i mean part of that b corporation status is making everything we find as widely available as we possibly can so there's never any gateways to entry there's never any pay-to-play type propositions with us other than for the clients who commission the surveys obviously that's where we revenue as a business um there's there's heaps of research funnily enough i think some of our historic research is even more relevant today so there's a if anybody looks at our website Uh, There's a document there called the uh, the Workplace Experience Revolution. Mm -hmm. There's part one and part two that were done 12 months apart. First one based on about 400,000 responses. In there is a map, uh, uh, it's called the Workplace Impact Map, and it shows how employees arrive at their sentiment expression at the end of a working day. And the closer the factor is to the middle of the map, that uh, that Rick spent many hours visualising to try and make it comprehensible quickly, are a series of things that are key triggers for employees. Have a look at it, I'm not gonna do the big reveal now, Mm -hmm. but it's, um, have a look at that map, Uh, page 52 from memory, because I go there every time, it's my turn to page in that research document. Um, That map, I think, has the ingredients for the future relationship between home and office in terms of experience, because the number one most important activity, home supports brilliantly, but number two, three, and four, home does not support. Mm. Item number five then comes back on as something that's better supported at home. So this debate is complicated, it's complex, yeah. and is going to really tear at the very fabric of the reason for having corporate workplace when the first and most important factor in an employee expressing their sentiment about a day at work is better supported in most employees' homework settings. Is that dun, a good place dun, to end?
0: Standards. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I? Yes, that's the perfect place to wrap Thank you. Pleasure, as always. Thank you. So, that was Tim. He speaks about clear purpose and communication. You can't diversify the service without that. The team has to understand where you're going. And actually, it sounds like he's going to come out of this stronger. That takes a very entrepreneurial mind and a whole team that's completely on board and behind you i have actually coached some of tim's team in the past and i know how much emphasis he puts onto team development and brand alignment they really practice what they preach they double down on employee experience at Leisman. there's a rock solid integrity there that i've witnessed which I have found is very rare in a lot of corporate environments. And it's obviously part of that magic fairy dust that Leesman sprinkles on the team as they come through the door. I mean, no wonder they're missing it. I was super impressed to understand that they were about to achieve B Corp status. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's like the A plus gold star of business for good. It's an accreditation that you can you can go for it measures not only the physical workplace and the structures that are within that but there's a myriad other measures to ensure the well-being of staff and just the way that they conduct business is top draw it is incredibly rigorous and very hard to achieve so that really does speak to the integrity of actions and values that's it from me, guys, this week. If your team would like to talk to me about leadership coaching, I'm available for discussions around that. If you want to get in touch, please do. There's certainchangepodcast at gmail.com. There's my website, www.kinestheticacoaching.com. And there's my Instagram, which I'm kind of understanding now, uh, Certain Change Podcast. Cheers for now.